Are you ready to open your mind and your heart? Welcome to the Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival, with your host, Lauren N. Nile. We can mature beyond today's prejudice and xenophobia. We can save our beautiful planet. The keys are self-awareness, awareness of others, and most important, love. Now, here's Lauren. Hi, everyone. As you just heard, I'm your host, Lauren Nile. It's a pleasure to be back with you today. So, as you know, uh, as if you've been following my show, you know that I'm an author and a trainer, a workshop facilitator, a keynote speaker, and also a retired lawyer. Um, and uh, I've been conducting training for the past 28 years in all kinds of areas, leadership, effective communication skills, uh, team building, working successfully with different temperaments, etc. Uh, I work with organizations, helping them hopefully transform their environments in, into ones in which all people, all of their employees are equally valued and equally welcomed, irrespective of any kind of demographic differences. In fact, I, I like to describe my work as that of helping all people to see the divine in themselves and themselves in each other. So uh, just if you are wanting more information on me, just go to my website, www.laurennile.com. You also know that um, I've written a book entitled Race, My Story and Humanity's Bottom Line, which really encapsulates many of the things that we're talking about here on the show. So if that's of interest to you as well, check that out. It's available on Amazon.com, you name it, BarnesandNoble.com. Now, my show, you may remember if you've been following me, is organized into three themes. We are one, we are brilliant, and we are divine. Talking about us as human beings. We are one, we are brilliant, and we are divine. And we're starting with that first premise, we are one. In other words, as human beings across the planet, all seven plus billion of us, we are literally one human family. We are more alike than we are different. And along with that, uh, we are going to be discussing a number of topics. The one that we're going to be discussing today is unearned privilege. What is it and what can we do about it? Unearned privilege, what it is and what we can do about it. Now, I've chosen to concentrate on on this topic today because it seems to me that one of the ways in which we can as human beings be unconscious is about the privilege that so many of us live with every day. Why is it important? Why is it important for us to know about the privilege that we live with? It's because it helps us to be more compassionate toward, more understanding of our fellow human beings who don't live with the kind of privilege that many of us live with. You see, I want to raise our level of compassion for each other. And one of the ways that I find often we are not as compassionate as we could be, not nearly as compassionate as we could be about each other, is that we take our own privilege for granted and therefore can be somewhat callous when other people don't have the privileges and therefore the advantages that come with those privileges that we enjoy. So let's just get into this for just a few minutes. All right, so the words unearned privilege. What comes to mind for you when you hear the words unearned privilege? In my workshops, so often, um, 
what people say is, well, what comes to mind for me is something like, uh, well, some advantage that you're that you're born with, you know, um, like uh, oh, wealth. You didn't earn it, but you were just born with it, you know. Or some people have said, well, good looks, maybe. Uh, you didn't earn it, you know, it was just the luck of the draw and you were just born with them. You can't take credit for it. You didn't do anything to earn it. You were just born that way. Okay, well, I do think that those are two good examples of things that give us privilege in society, wealth, and what some people may refer to as good looks. And we know that, you know, uh, looks are in the eye of the beholder, of course. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But nonetheless, those are those are two good examples. And I do agree with the characterization in general that unearned privilege is something that we obviously don't earn. That's the word unearned. Um, it's something that it's just bestowed upon us. It's just given to us. And very often we are indeed born with the privilege. So let's set the stage for our discussion here and think about hand dominance as probably the most obvious unearned privilege. For those of us who are right-handed, I'll ask you a couple of questions. Do you ever go into Staples or Office Depot or any of those other stationery stores, even Target, department store, and think, okay, I hope there's a left-handed scissors here today because I don't want to have to come back here two or three more times looking for, you know, for a, a left-handed scissors. Eh, you probably don't have that thought. You don't even think about it. You need a scissors, you go to the store, you buy a scissors. When you're having lunch with friends, you know, maybe coworkers, taking a coworker out for lunch, you're sitting at a long lunch table. Do you ever think to yourself, oh my goodness, let me hurry up and try to get that seat on the end so I'm not knocking elbows with the person sitting next to me as we eat? Yeah, if you're right-handed, my guess is you probably don't even consider something like that. When you were a kid in school, if you went to uh, schools that had those all-in-one desks, the seat and the desk all-in-one, did you ever think on the first day of school, let me hurry up and get that one left-handed desk that I hope is in the classroom? Probably not. You probably just took the seat that you wanted without having to think about whether it was a right or a left-handed desk. Most or maybe even all of the desks were right-handed desks. When you write... When you're writing in, in, in longhand, although, of course, that's something that we don't do very much anymore these days, but on occasions on which you do write in longhand, do you have to actually sort of, uh, sometimes we refer to it as hook, do you have to hook your arm so that you can see what you're writing and so that you don't get ink on your long sleeve white blouse or shirt? No. Why? Because we write left to right, which is most convenient for right-handers. So see, those are the ways in which life is easy for us who are right-handed. I'm right-handed. Right-handedness is the human norm, regardless of one's race or one's uh, ethnicity. Right-handedness is is the human norm. And so because we are, quote, the norm, unquote, on on that famous bell curve, because we are the norm, things just are made for us. The world is sort of made for us, for our convenience, for our use. We don't have to even think about a lot of things. Life is easier for us. That's a clear and very easy example of just 
unearned privilege. I didn't do anything to earn this ease with which I live my life as a right-handed person. I was just born with it. All right, so let's look at a few other areas of unearned privilege. But before we do, let me say this, that there's no guilt here. There's no blame. There's no judgment. I don't feel guilty about having been born a right-handed person because I didn't ask to be born right-handed. You see, I didn't do anything. I, I, I just came into the world this way. So there's no guilt. The world is just set up, and it was set up you know, this way long before I came into it. So now with regard to other areas of unearned privilege, the same is true. Just because I'm pointing out the ways in which many of us live with unearned privilege doesn't mean that we're bad people or that it's our fault or that we're depriving other people, you know, because we were born with privilege. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying, first of all, that it's important that we be aware of our own privilege so that, again, hopefully we can have more compassion for those who do not have it. One other quick example, I live with the privilege of speaking what some people refer to as business English or standard English. And I know that, for example, for many people from the South, and I was born and raised in the Deep South. I'm a a native of New Orleans. But I know that for many people who are born and raised in the South who speak with uh, a Southern accent, they can't take for granted, for example, that their intelligence won't be unconsciously judged by many people based upon their speech pattern. They can't take for granted that they may not be offered a job because of their accent or what have you. I I didn't do anything to sort of earn the way I speak. I was just reared in a household in which my mother made sure that we spoke standard English. That's all. So again, no guilt, no blame, no judgment. All right. Now, let's look at ability, ability privilege. I'm going to share with you uh, a few privileges that we... Um, have as able-bodied people, those of us who are able-bodied people. And I uh, excerpted this from an article entitled 19 Examples of Ability Privilege by Shannon Ridgway. It's on the internet. And these are a few examples of able-bodied privilege. Things that as able-bodied people, for those of us who are able-bodied, we don't even have to think about. They just come to us. Okay from Shannon Ridgway's article. As an able-bodied person, we can live our lives independently without help in daily personal tasks such as showering and choosing an outfit and getting dressed. Now, of course, there are many people who live with a physical disability who also have that same level of independence, for example, a deaf person. But there are so many other people who, depending upon their disability, do need help. They cannot live independently in terms of showering and choosing clothing in the morning and getting dressed, etc. As able-bodied people, we are well represented in movies and in books and in TV shows. We can play sports easily. Public transportation is easy for us. Air travel is easy for us. Leisure activities like gardening and woodworking, they're easy for us. Public access to buildings, parks, restaurants, etc. They're all easy for us, especially in small towns where, you know, disability uh, access may be limited. Other people don't get frustrated with us in public places for needing special accommodations or perhaps for holding up a line. We don't frequently encounter communication barriers. 
We can expect to find housing that accommodates our physical needs. We don't have to try to look for housing that uh, has a needs that will uh, that has accommodations um, for our particular physical needs. We can buy a car without having it specially equipped to to fit us to accommodate us. You know, people don't make assumptions about our intellectual ability based on our physical ability. So often, if a person has a physical disability, the unconscious assumption is that the person is also intellectually challenged, which is more often than not, much more often than not, not the case. Uh, a woman said to me in a workshop some years ago that I was facilitating, I, and I, I know you may have heard this example yourself because it happens quite often, in a restaurant, she's eating with a friend, and the white person asks her friend what she'd like for her meal, and then she asks her friend, pointing to her, the woman with the disability, her friend, and what would she like, as opposed to asking the woman herself, and what can I get for you this evening? You know, perhaps the assumption on the part of that white person was that this person is intellectually challenged and unable to speak for herself. People don't make fun of us because of our ability. You know, there's the um, example of, um, here's another example. I was uh, told this story by another workshop participant some years ago. He said I was flying to this workshop, actually, the workshop that I was facilitating, and the flight attendant uh, was screaming in the ear, (laughs) screaming in the ear of the blind person sitting next to me. And the gentleman finally said to the flight attendant, you know, I can't see, but I can hear, but I'm afraid that if you keep screaming in my ear, I may not be able to hear either. And they both sort of laughed at that, but that was an example of, um, I think it's called, there's a phenomenon for that, expansion or something like that. In other words, when a person has one disability, the person interacting with them will assume that they have other disabilities as well. In this case, it was a blind person who was assumed to not be able to hear well. So, you know, these are ways in which, as able-bodied people, if, 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 if you are able-bodied, life is just easier for you. You know, for those of us who are able-bodied, we don't have to think about this stuff. They are privileges, but they're unearned. We were just born with them. What about religion? Is there a way in which there is religious privilege in, in many cultures? Well, I think that there are. In some cultures, if you're not a member of that culture's major religion or predominant religion, if you're not a member of the religion which most people in that culture are a member of, you actually are at risk of being killed. I mean, that has happened many times around the world in various countries throughout our history. But what about here in the United States? Well, the predominant religion here in the U.S. is Christianity. Of course, there are millions of people in our country who are uh, members of other faiths, who are Hindu and Buddhist and Jewish and who are uh, Muslim, among many other religions. Um, But the overwhelming percentage of people in the United States are Christian. So let's look at what might be and what I would actually suggest are indeed privileges 
that are bestowed upon people who practice the Christian faith in the United States. Well, you can expect to have time off to celebrate, time off from work to celebrate your religious holidays. You know, most employers give their employees Christmas off or, uh, you know, mo- mo- most employees understand that, uh, you know, their, their, their employees want that time of the year off and they have it. Many employers are closed for those holidays, for the Christmas holidays. Music and television programs pertaining to your religious holidays are readily accessible. There are all kinds of Christmas movies, even Easter movies and television shows. Let's see. You can worship freely without fear of violence or threats. You know, for the most part, you don't have to worry that your church is going to be burned down or or firebombed or defamed, defaced which is, has been the case for many Jewish synagogues in our country, which has been the case for mosques in our country, and which has been the case for black Christian churches in our country. That's where the intersection of racial oppression and religious unarmed privilege come into play. But for the most part, If you worship at a predominantly white church, I should say, you don't have to fear that your church will be firebombed or defaced. A bumper sticker supporting your religion won't likely lead to your car being vandalized. That isn't true for people who are not of the Christian faith. They put a bumper sticker on their car. Well, for the most part, I don't see them, but my... Suspicion is that a bumper sticker supporting their religion may indeed likely lead to their car being vandalized. And they're aware of that. If you're being tried in court, you can assume that the ju- that you probably have a jury of your peers. In other words, a jury that most likely shares your faith and will not hold your religion against you in weighing your guilt or innocence. When swearing an oath, you will place your hand on a religious scripture pertaining to your faith, the Bible. You won't have to place your, your hand on the Bhagavad Gita if you are a Hindu or on the Quran, the Holy Quran, if you are a Muslim. Politicians responsible for your governance are probably members of your faith. It's easy for you to find your faith accurately depicted in television and movies and books and other media. You can travel to any part of the country and know that your religion will be accepted and that you'll be safe. You know, your faith can be an aspect of your identity without being a defining aspect. Oh, this is my Christian friend, Lauren. Or this is my Christian friend, Harry. No, it's just my friend. Not, you know, unlike people who practice other faith. Oh, this is my Muslim friend. Oh, this is my Jewish friend. And no, people don't usually introduce each other that way, but often feel that way. They have that sense about their friend. You can be polite or gentle or peaceful and not be considered an exception to those practicing your faith. The other day someone said to me, I met a woman who was so kind and she was so considerate and so thoughtful and she was Muslim. That person said with surprise, much surprise. Without special effort, your children will have a multitude of teachers who who share your faith. 
And finally, you're not asked to speak on behalf of all members of your faith. Those are things that as members of the Christian faith in the United States, you can just take for granted. It's not that you are putting anybody down for having their faith because you enjoy those privileges. It's just a matter of being aware that you have those privileges and not everybody does. All right, let's look at sexual orientation. The majority of people are in the world are heterosexual, I believe. Although nowadays there's some question about whether or not most people are actually sort of um, on the spectrum of sexuality, uh, somewhere in between heterosexual and lesbian, gay, bisexual. I'm not a scientist. I don't, I don't know the scientific research around that. But most people identify, certainly, as heterosexual. And if one does, here are just some of the privileges. I'm going to go through these a little bit more quickly. Some of the privileges that heterosexual people enjoy. Public recognition and support for an intimate relationship. In other words, congratulations for uh, being, exa- being uh, engaged, for example. Heterosexual people can express affection in most social situations, not expecting hostility or violent reaction from others. Just, for example, holding hands going through the park. Heterosexual people can easily find a neighborhood in which the residents will accept, you know, them and their family without wondering, oh my goodness, we love this house, but how are the neighbors going to accept us? Is it going to be okay? Are our children going to be safe? Heterosexual people um, can dress or talk as they choose without it being a reflection on people of their sexuality. Whereas uh, a person who may not express themselves in a way that is stereotypical, if you will, for their, for their sex, a man who may be, in some people's eyes, more feminine than most men or more feminine than a man should be, or a woman who may express herself as more masculine than a woman should in the, in the eyes of many, will be judged for that. People who are heterosexual can pretty much go wherever they wish, for the most part, without fear of being harassed or beaten up or even killed because of, because of their sexuality. So those are just some of the privileges of being heterosexual. When we come back after the break, we're going to discuss a few more, a few more of those, and then we'll get into two other areas of unearned privilege. So I'll see you on the other side of the break, listeners. Thanks for joining me. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Lauren is available for readings of her book, Race, My Story, and Humanity's Bottom Line, for keynote speaking engagements, training engagements, and for the facilitation of retreats. She works with both large and small organizations. Her interactive and experiential workshops range from four hours to four days in length. When working with groups, Lauren's style is a comfortable blend of both passion and peacefulness. She brings her sense of humor, appropriately, to all of her work. Lauren's work with groups has been described as eye-opening, inspirational, powerful, and life-changing. The goal of Lauren's work with employers is to help organizations create work environments in which every individual is both highly welcomed and equally valued. The goal of Lauren's speaking and training in the greater society is to help the human species grow in both wisdom and compassion. Her fervent desire is to help all people see the divine in themselves and themselves in each other. For more information about Lauren's programs, please visit laurennile.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective. Your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. This is the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. To reach host Lauren N. Nile with questions or comments about the program, please send an email to author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. That's author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. Now, let's return to the fate of humanity. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. So, before the break, we were talking about unearned privilege, and we started off with unearned privilege based on hand dominance, and uh, then we went to unearned privilege um, 
based on, I think, uh, religion, uh, ability. We started with ability, then we went to uh, religion, and then we went to sexual orientation. So just a few more thoughts about unearned privilege based on sexual orientation. Then we'll go to gender, and then we'll go to race. And then I'll tell you what the importance is, really, the point of this whole discussion is. So with regard to being heterosexual, once again, um, so if one is heterosexual, one doesn't have to live with the reality of knowing that many people believe that your sexuality is immoral. You don't have to worry about people not wanting their children to play with your children because of your sexuality. You don't have to worry um, that, you know, if you move abroad, you're from the United States, your spouse and children may not be considered members of your family anymore. You don't have to come out. In other words, explain to people that you're straight. <laughs> and you don't have to worry that your sexuality is going to change how people view you, how, how they think about you, how they regard you. Okay. Just, uh, wow, man, there are so many. There are... In researching this, I looked at um, an article called 160 plus examples of male privilege. We're getting into sex now. 160 plus examples of male privilege in all areas of life. This is by Maisha Z. Johnson. Oh my goodness. 160. Well, obviously, we have no time for us to go through all 160 of those examples of unearned privilege uh, if one is a man. But, But we'll go through a few of them. And of course, there are a few unearned privileges with regard to that apply to to women as well. But because they really don't give power to women, we won't even discuss those this morning. We'll come back and do those perhaps on another show. But uh, these are some of the privileges that Ms. Johnson has identified that come with being male. And this is not only in the United States, perhaps, but... Um, in many, many cultures. All right, so in childhood, as a little boy, you can be assertive without being told to not be so bossy. Your energetic behavior and creative energy is encouraged. You know, it's not dismissed with phrases. You're you're not given phrases like, well, girls have to be ladylike, which, of course, means you have to be more reserved and less outspoken. Uh, you know, your creative energy is not dismissed with phrases like, well, boys will be boys. You aren't raised to believe that your gender is inherently more delicate or, or weaker. You don't have to hear phrases like, you throw like a girl. You know, as you're growing up, you have many, many, many positive role models of your gender as being strong and smart in media of all kinds, in history books, etc., What about in just society at large today? Well, if, if you're male, you can dominate conversations without being judged. You know, women are often perceived as being too talkative, even, even, even when we're speaking less. You know, one study showed that women need to make up 60 to 80 percent of a group in order to have equal time in a conversation. Social norms allow you to have more space if you're a man. How many times do you see men sitting with their legs just spread wide on a, on a subway train or uh, in a chair, you know? Um, you can just take up more physical space. I know I've sat next to a man 
with his you know legs spread wide just it's just a comfortable position obviously and as a result I have a lot less space in my chair it's happened to me numerous times you can buy clothes designed for your gender that have pockets you can actually use you know can you imagine if you're a man not having pockets now you say well but women have purses true but boy the convenience of just being able to go into your pocket to get a wallet or a phone as opposed to having to take the purse off your shoulder open it up dig it out oh my gosh clothes that are designed for women um, often have pockets that are purely decorative because you know they're made to help women look slim you can buy a car without a salesperson assuming that you can be taken advantage that uh, that you can be taken advantage of and studies show time and time again that you'll be offered a better price for the same car than a woman you're not expected to change your name if you get married and you're not questioned if if you don't you know your name is your name you were born with your name you you stay with that identity throughout your life you don't have to go through the hassle of changing every single document in your life of course you don't have to do that in the United States women have the choice but then people question you and wonder, well, why don't you want to have the same name as your children, <laughs> as they will often ask, you know? Getting married to someone other, uh, getting married to someone of another gender doesn't mean more domestic labor for you. Studies show that husbands add, on average, seven extra hours of housework a week for their wives. So if, if you're a man and, and you marry a woman you probably won't have more domestic labor added to your work week. In terms of harassment and violence, what are some of the unearned privilege of being a male? Well, you're less likely to be the target of street harassment. Oh my gosh, when I moved to Washington years ago, first to New York City actually, and then to Washington DC, I cannot tell you how shocked and horrified I was at the verbal street harassment that I was the victim of every single day. I, you know, I, I wasn't raised with it. I lived in a city in which it didn't happen. And uh, wow, it was horrendous. On some level, it even robbed me of my internal peace for a very long time. But street harassment, verbal street harassment, if you're a man, probably not. You, you don't have to deal with that. You can travel alone without worrying about being a target of violence because of your gender, you know, at least not sexual violence. Most men don't have to think about putting their keys between their fingers if they walk late at night to the parking lot if they work late because something might happen to them. You know, you don't have to worry about your girlfriend who you've just dropped uh, off on her doorstep if you're uh, well if you're a woman and you have a friend you go to the movies with them you're probably going to wait right there until she gets into her house uh, if you drop them off in front of their home because you know what could happen to them you want to make sure she's safe men don't have to worry about those kinds of things you're less likely to be stalked you're certainly less likely to be raped you're less likely to be homeless as a result of an intimate partner relationship, intimate partner violence. You're less likely to be killed by a partner. You're less likely to be blamed for your own sexual assault. 
You can set a drink down at a party with probably without having to worry about being drugged and assaulted. You can stand in a crowded area, like, you know, on a public uh, train without worrying about being groped. You know, you don't, you don't have that worry about your physical safety. I mean, these are just a few of the examples. You can use the Internet without being harassed, for example. And if you are harassed, it's not, you know, based on your, your sex, most likely. You know, these are just some of the few examples, some of the few of the 162 examples uh, that this person has given of male privilege, what it means to live with unearned male privilege. So, you know, it's, it's a lot to think about, but certainly there's a way in which if you are male, you probably take these things for granted. All right. We are going to talk about racial privilege. The majority of people in in the United States are European American. Now, of course, that's becoming less and less true. Um, And, you know, we are, many of us, familiar with uh, the ways in which our demographics are changing in the United States. But we're going to talk about racial privilege and then talk about what all of us can do to live more consciously and to undo the system of unearned privilege in which we were all born. Time for a break. I'll see you on the other side of the break, and then we'll continue our discussion. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Lauren is available for readings of her book, Race, My Story, and Humanity's Bottom Line, for keynote speaking engagements, training engagements, and for the facilitation of retreats. She works with both large and small organizations. Her interactive and experiential workshops range from four hours to four days in length. When working with groups, Lauren's style is a comfortable blend of both passion and peacefulness. She brings her sense of humor appropriately to all of her work. Lauren's work with groups has been described as eye-opening, inspirational, powerful, and life-changing. The goal of Lauren's work with employers is to help organizations create work environments in which every individual is both highly welcomed and equally valued. The goal of Lauren's speaking and training in the greater society is to help the human species grow in both wisdom and compassion. Her fervent desire is to help all people see the divine in themselves and themselves in each other. For more information about Lauren's programs, please visit laurennile.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. To reach host Lauren N. Nile with questions or comments about the program, please send an email to author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. That's author and speaker Lauren at gmail.com. Now, let's return to the fate of humanity. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to the last segment. I cannot believe that it's almost time for us to go. So uh, let me um, continue on with our discussion of unearned privilege. 
We've looked at unearned privilege in a variety of areas, ability, religion, sex, sexual orientation. And so we're going to end now with some unearned privilege with regard to race in the United States. And then I'll tell you what this is all about. So as I said before the break, the majority of people in the United States are of European American descent or of European descent, rather. Most are European American. And so let's look at whether or not there are privileges that come with that particular identity here in the United States, specifically. Well, Peggy McIntosh was one of the first, if not the first person to really bring the whole issue of racial privilege to our attention. Peggy McIntosh herself is is a European American who was a women's studies professor at Wellesley College for many years. And uh, she, in teaching her classes, um, was in uh, in some classes talking about male privilege. And she said, you know, there are ways in which some, not all certainly, but some of my male students just automatically deny male privilege. And they'll say things like, oh, you women, you, you know, you have affirmative action now. So you, you actually have more privilege than I do because employers have to hire you because they have to play those numbers games. And uh, if a woman works as hard as a man, she can, she can do just as well as a man. Come on, there's no such thing as male privilege. And Professor McIntosh thought to herself, well, wait a minute. If there's a way in which you know, some men can deny, just flat out deny male privilege. Might there be a way in which as a white person, I might be oblivious to whatever white privilege I might have? You know, I might be a privilege, I might be unaware of skin color privilege with which I may live. Well, gosh, I don't want to, I don't want to live that unconsciously because I see how that, how that, I, I hear how that sounds. Um, with regard to, you know, my students who take male privilege for granted. And I don't want to be unconscious like that. So let me think about this. And in doing so, she came up with a list of 46 things that she says, I just take for granted. I don't ask for them. I don't deserve them more than other people. But they just come to me because I'm white. So here are just a few, she says. She says, when I'm told about our national heritage, you know, or when I'm told about civilization, human human civilization, I'm I'm shown that people of my color, my race, made it what it is. We made society, we made civilization what it is, we built the world. You know? She says, I can be pretty sure that if I ask to talk to, quote, the person in charge, unquote, I will be facing a person of my race, most likely. I can easily buy pulse cards and picture books and greeting cards and toys and magazines featuring people of my race. She says I can choose blemish uh, um, cover or bandages and quote flesh color and have them pretty much match my skin. Um, now, I can tell you that with regard to uh, blemish and women's makeup, it's only been recently, I'd say in the last 10, maybe 15 years, maybe, um, that, you know, the things like foundation and blush have come in tones that uh, will really accommodate whatever skin color a person may have. That's fairly new. Same thing with uh, greeting cards. If you look carefully and if you know where to go, you can find greeting cards that show people of various different races. But for the most part, not so much. 
Certainly with regard to the police, if I'm pulled over or stopped by the police, I don't have to wonder if it's because of my race. And I don't have to be afraid for my life, usually, with regard to any encounters with the police that I may have. My children in school, I, I don't have to worry about whether or not their teacher is prejudiced or, or even holds unconscious assumptions about their level of intelligence, you know. I can be sure that my children are going to be given curriculum materials that testify to the existence of their race. When I go shopping alone, I can go shopping alone most of the time, she says, without being followed or harassed. I can tell you, my friends, as an African-American, I hate shopping. I just don't like shopping in general. It's not one of my things. But the other thing is that I get followed around so much when I shop. I, I just, I hate it. So I often don't go because I want to avoid that situation. It's painful and it's upsetting. So often I just want to turn around and say, do you understand that I can afford to buy what's in this store or I wouldn't be in here? Sometimes I want to say, do you understand that I'm an, as a lawyer, I'm an officer of the court? <laughs> oh my gosh, it is tiring and infuriating really I just can't take for granted that I'm going to go into a store and not be followed around that's not an unearned privilege with which I live there are so many other race-based privileges that I could talk about being it some of them are identical or similar to privileges in some of the other areas that we've talked about being able to buy a house and you know wondering whether or not your neighbors are going to accept you and be warm to you those kinds of things I can't take that for granted just having people be comfortable with you. Just having people be socially comfortable with you. Greeting you warmly without being uncomfortable. Oftentimes people will greet you warmly. Hi, how are you? But it'll, underneath that, you can see, you can sense a sort of a, oh, oh hi. Hi, black person. <laughs> kind of response. It's not that the person's racist necessarily. It's just that they don't have the kind of comfort level that they had, for example, an hour before when you spoke to them on the phone. Boy, I've had that experience many times. You can hear a kind of a comfort on the phone, and then when you meet the person in person, not so much. You know, uh, there was an article written years ago by a young um, reporter, a young European-American reporter who worked for um, a Baltimore newspaper, the Baltimore Sun, who said, look, when I apply for an apartment, for example, people are comfortable with me. I don't have to worry about them being afraid of me. That's one of the big unearned privileges I have as a young white man. People aren't afraid of me. And that's a huge privilege. So we could go on and on talking about other unearned privileges that people of European American descent have. But I want to be sure that we leave time to talk about what we can do about this. And what's the point of this whole discussion in terms of all of the things that we've talked about this morning in the show, whether they be privilege based on ability or based on religion or based on sexual orientation or based on sex or based on race, no matter what the privilege is, and there are, there are honor and privileges in, that we enjoy, many of us in so many other areas, no matter what the privilege is based on, what can we do? Well, one, we can, we can realize that we have the privilege and, and not be in denial about it. I mean, you know, one of the things about unearned privilege is that we are usually totally and utterly unaware of it. 
And so if I try to explain my my experience in the store to someone who, who doesn't have to worry about being followed around in a store, their response will likely be, oh, come on, that happens to everybody. Everybody's following around every now and then. Ah, oh, you, you were just having a bad waiter. Everybody has a bad, bad waiter in a restaurant every now and then. And so you're faced with this reality that you live with on sometimes a daily basis, and then you're faced with the denial of it. And it's because people don't understand what their own privilege is. And so one, be aware of it. Most people who have unearned privilege are unaware of it. I was totally unaware of my unearned privilege as, a, as an able-bodied person until one of my uh, friends who lives with a disability informed me, <laughs> educated me about my privilege that I don't even think about. So one, be aware of it. Two, what else? We can listen to other people's stories when they tell us about their privilege. Listen, learn, be educated. You know, show compassion. Three, speak up. Speak up about it when we see it. You know, this hasn't happened to me in a while, but it has happened to me several times in my life. I've been in line. I'm the next person in line. But the cashier literally looks to the person who might be standing a little to my right or left who's behind me. Yes, can I help you, ma'am? Can I help you, sir? And on a few occasions, that person, who has always been white, has said, you know, this woman is ahead of me. You really should wait on her first. That person in that instant was an ally to me, and I so respect them for what they've done in that moment. So we can, in a sense, not in a sense, we can really call others when they engage in that kind of behavior. What else can we do? We can talk to other people about our own unearned privilege and educate our friends, you know, about the privilege that we share, whatever group we're in. You know, I mean, there are so many things that we can do with regard to this whole issue of unearned privilege that we don't have time to discuss this morning and that perhaps we'll come back to on another show. But for the most part, we can start off with our awareness. This issue of unearned privilege, my friends, is an issue which is crucial if we are going to get to the place at which we all respect each other for the human beings that we all are. And that's really, as you've heard me say several times on the show, the point of the work that I do. It is my life's calling. It's to help us truly understand that we are all, if you will, siblings, (laughs) brothers and sisters on this earth. So understanding our privilege Understanding that not everyone enjoys the privilege that we have because of their sexual orientation or perhaps because of their gender or perhaps because of their their race or because of their physical disability is one of our crucial steps, one of those crucial steps that we must take if we're going to come together in unity as one. We, we know now, as um, I've said on another show, that we are all descendant, not from you know the same few African villages, not even from a single African village. We know that we are all descended, which is an amazing fact, from literally the same two human beings, a single woman and man of the Sand Bushman people of Namibia's Kalahari Desert. 
it's an amazing, incredible fact, but our DNA proves it beyond the shadow of any doubt. We now know that all notions of racial superiority and racial inferiority of human beings being, you know, being better than, than other human beings based on their race. We all we know that that's all false. Our DNA, the science, has proven it unequivocally. Our science shows us that women and men are different, but that we are of equal value. You see, we have cracked wide open to the light of day the secret in our DNA, the profound truth that every single human being on this planet, on planet Earth, every one of us is of equal humanity. We are equally human, all of us. You know, there were several other humanoid species that appeared on our planet. There was Cro-Magnon man. There was uh, Peking man. There was uh, uh, Neanderthal man. There was Homo habilis. There was Homo erectus. They all died out. Every single one of them died out. They're gone. Only one species survived. And that is what? Us, of course, Homo sapiens. We are the only ones that survived all of those humanoid species that appeared on our planet. And we're here for a very long time, actually. And some of them were here with us, together with us. But Homo habilis, you know, Homo erectus, actually, uh, I think they may have been along our evolutionary chain. I'm not sure. But certainly, you know, Peking man, Neanderthal man, they all died out. There is only the human sapien group, if you will, human, what we call human beings left on earth. And my work, my life's work is to make sure to the extent that I possibly can, that we all see each other as that. We must learn to live with compassion and with love for one another around this planet, or we risk a horrible future. That's it for me, my friends. It's time for me to get off the air. I want us to live in peace and in harmony with each other. I thank you for listening again this morning. Join me again next week for the fate of humanity, crucial conversations for our survival. I'm your host, Lauren Nile. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Fate of Humanity, Crucial Conversations for Our Survival. Please join your host, Lauren N. Nile, for another edition of our program next Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you right here next week. 